Amen. Well, as you're having a seat, turn in your Bibles with us today to Daniel chapter 7. And we're going to be in a few different places, but if you want to go ahead and get to Daniel 7, Daniel's kind of a hard book to find. If you just look for the big book of Ezekiel, if you've got your physical Bible, just go to Ezekiel. It's easier to find. 48 chapters there and just hook a right. Uh, but if you're electronic today, it'll be really easy for you. Hey, we're talking about Jesus as the Son of Man today, the Son of Man, as we look at him with no filter. Again, our heart of this series is that we would see Jesus more clearly than ever before, and that's our heart and prayer for you today. As I began to Google search Son of Man, I thought I would see a little more about Jesus. I thought that Jesus would be one of the top results, but actually as you start to Google it, you're free to try it yourself, you'll come into contact with something that you might not expect. And you'll see rows and rows and rows on Google image of this particular image we're going to put on the screen right now. This is the painting, Son of Man. How many of you have ever seen this painting before? Anybody? Yeah, it's, it's fairly popular. Um, it wasn't as popular to me, but it is now, and I learned a lot about it. And there's a, a Belgian surrealist painter named Rene Magritte. And Magritte says this about their painting. So the artist, this is the artist's quote. As at least it hides the face partly well. So you have the apparent face, the apple, hiding the visible but hidden face of the person. It's something that happens constantly. Everything we see, listen to this, everything we see hides another thing. And we always want to see what is hidden by what we see. There's an interest in which hidden and which the invisible does not show us. This interest can take the form of a quite intense feeling, sort of a conflict, one might say, between the visible that is hidden and the visible that is present. And in the same exact way, friends, with Jesus, what people saw, the visible out there in front of them, it concealed behind that visible what was actually hidden. And people were compelled by what they saw in the foreground, by the apple, so to speak, the externals, which were what? Miracles, uh, what Jesus did with signs and wonders. People were captivated by us. But even as great as those things were, they hid something even greater behind. And people were captivated by this. They were drawn in. They're like, something's with this guy. I mean, he's Jesus of Nazareth. We know he's just that boy Jesus. What's the big deal with him? But just a regular old guy or even just a good prophet or good teacher, he speaks with this authority. He speaks with this gravity. When he talks, things change in the room. When he shows up, not only do crowds draw in, but things shift. He says things like, but I say to you, who does that? Who do these people say that I am? Remember the question from last week? Who do people say that I am? One of Jesus' favorite questions. And so with Jesus, one of his favorite titles for himself was the Son of Man. And so that's why we're talking about that today over 80 times in the Gospels, we hear Jesus refer to himself as the Son of Man. That's a lot, right? He says, the Son of Man came to do this. The Son of Man, this and that. We're going to take a look at some of these phrases this morning. There's really three main encouragements this morning that I have for you. So if you're taking notes, just follow these three encouragements. And the first one is this, simply, to, I want to encourage each person in the room this morning to look back to the prophecy of the Son of Man. That this Son of Man language did not appear out of thin air. That Jesus 
Not only was this his favorite title, but it came from somewhere. So Daniel chapter 7, that's where we're going to be. And we read these verses earlier, but I just want to take us back there for a second. So look back to the prophecy of the Son of Man. Now real quick, the prophet here is Daniel. And he was a prophet of God in the Old Testament. Daniel saw some things, okay? Uh, Some of them were pretty scary. Right before this moment in Daniel 7, he sees four beasts. How many of you guys like mine? movies or like sci-fi fantasy kind of stuff. Anybody? Yeah? Yeah, good. All right, I'm not alone in the room. That's great. So he sees this monster vision, these four beasts, and then one comes like the Son of Man who it looks like those beasts are in charge. It looks like they're powerful. But then the Son of Man comes and says, hold the phone. It's actually me. I'm the one with all power. And so here's what happens in Daniel 7, 13. Let's take a look at the text. So Suddenly, one like a, that's your turn, son of man, thank you, was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. Take a look at this next verse. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation and language, should serve him. Man, what a text. So let's dive in real quick and just point a couple of things out. We have a vision of the throne room of God. This is one of the handful of times in the Bible where we get a glimpse into the throne room of God. We see the Father who is identified as the Ancient of Days. It doesn't mean that he's old. Like we think if we call someone ancient, it's kind of an insult, right? We don't want to do that. Um, I would not try that. That doesn't make people feel very good. Uh, But an Ancient of Days just means that that, I mean, this, this again points to the eternality, the eternal nature of God. We talked a lot about that last week when we saw Jesus as the Word. That's one thing we must know about God is that no one made God. He has always been. He is the unchanging constant, and that's why we can trust in Him. Not only His goodness, His goodness is unchanging as well, but we know that He will never, ever change. So we have the Ancient of Days, God the Father. And then we have this cloud rider. I don't know what you loved to ride when you were a kid. My favorite was my bike. I rode my bicycle. It makes me think of the Queen song in my head a little bit. But um, I was riding around the neighborhood all the time, just running the neighborhood with me and my, me and my neighborhood bros. There were about five of us just roaming the neighborhood. Uh, we did rollerblades. We did street hockey. We rode just about anything. We even had this thing called a go-ped. Does anybody know what a go-ped is? It's where you attach like a small engine motor to the back of a scooter. Very dangerous. Um, a lot of fun. And we, um, and we got hurt a lot on that, but luckily no hospitalization, so that was good. But I love to ride all kinds of things. My favorite ride was a, a Z24 1989 Chevy Cavalier that I used to have, a little five-speed. And that was where I learned to drive stick, and I still wish I had a stick shift. I have an automatic right now, but I may be getting another stick come soon. So I don't know what your favorite thing was. Those are some of my favorite things. Jesus' favorite things, as we see Jesus come up in the Bible, his favorite thing to ride, to ride is the clouds. He rides the clouds. Now, what does that mean? Like, we had this imagery of Jesus straddling the cloud. No, it's not literally like that. But he's coming on the clouds. This, is, this means he is Messiah. He's the one that is to come. That he is the one that, that, that will be promised, that has been promised, prophesied, and will come on the clouds of heaven from, from another realm entirely. Not in this physical realm. And this is speaking of the second coming, when he will come back again. This is also a vision 
And this is also a hint of even his first coming, the incarnation that we celebrate at Christmas time. But what's with the Son of Man? Let's put the verse back on the screen and look at what the Son of Man was given. Because the Son of Man was given a couple of things. The first thing is dominion. Dominion, that speaks to the rule of Christ. The next thing is glory. Glory is, is, a, is importance. It's a weight. He was given a glory and lastly a what? Kingdom. And this kingdom, by the way, Jesus came out talking about this kingdom a lot. In fact, it was the first thing Jesus said. If you look at all the Gospels, what does Jesus say first? It's a word that's not said as much anymore around the church because we're a little scared of it, unfortunately, but it's the word repent. Because the heart of Christ is for us to, hey, stop pursuing the world. Stop going the way that everybody is tempted to go and turn around and go the other way. There's something better for you. But he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Jesus comes right away talking about the kingdom. He talks about the kingdom a lot in the Gospels. So he's given a rule, a sovereignty, glory, this weight of importance, and then a kingdom. What kind of kingdom? Well, it's a kind of kingdom to where every people, every kind of person, this is a racial statement, this is, a, this is an ethnic statement, this is all people everywhere in the whole entire world made in the image of God should do what? Should serve Him. And when the Old Testament talks about serve, I know we think of service and we think of maybe a worship service, we think of maybe a Chick-fil-A, my pleasure, we think of, uh, hey, I'll bring you a Coke or a coffee or something like that. We think of serving people in that way or maybe a server at a restaurant. But when the Old Testament uses the language serve, this is a worship statement. That Hebrew word for serve is used in worship context. So this son of man is going to be worshipped by everyone. And hey, if you thumb over to Philippians in the Bible, chapter 2, you'll see that again. That every knee shall bow, that every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That's what I love about the Bible, guys. From Old Testament to New Testament, there is a unity, there is a completion. It's almost like it's the same author the whole entire way through. And it is, right? The Holy Spirit of God um, authored the Bible. And it's just amazing to see that continuity. All right, so we have the ancient days. We have the Son of Man with dominion and glory and a kingdom and this worship that he should be worshipped by everyone. I just want to point out again that this is, that this is no mere man. That Jesus is Lord of all. That Jesus is to be exalted. Every song we just sang, Christ be magnified. That the goal of our lives, that the reason why we were made to begin with, is that we should serve him. And I invite you to that mission. I, I invite you to that. I know many of you would say, yeah, that's what I'm about. But maybe today's a renewed effort to, to focus even more singularly on Jesus and root out some of the distractions that sometimes take away his dominion in our life, that subtract from the glory that he gets in our hearts, and that maybe can distract us from really being about his kingdom, and maybe sometimes, even if we're honest, being about our own kingdom and being about my own agenda. Let's be about his agenda. The Son of Man came to do several different things we're going to talk about this morning. All right, so we looked at the prophecy of the Son of Man, so we know where it comes from now. But number two, here's the second encouragement. Let's take a look at this. Submit to the authority of the Son of Man. Write that down this morning. We're called and invited to submit to the authority of the Son of Man. 
In Mark chapter 2, I want to invite you guys to flip over to Mark chapter 2 now. I'm going to go there with you. In Mark chapter 2, we see this amazing story. It's one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. And we see a story about some friends. And some friends get together. It's about four guys. And they, they get together, and they're really passionately uh, caring for their friend that is sick with his body. He, he can't walk. He's, he's paralyzed. He's a paralytic, as the passage says. And if you look at the story here, Jesus is teaching one day. And it's so packed. This, this happened a lot. The crowds would show up when Jesus would teach. It was so packed. It was standing room only. Have you ever been to a concert or, or, or an event where it's standing room only, where you're like shoulder to shoulder, you're breathing? I was at the Varsity one time in Atlanta. Have anybody ever been to the Varsity? Yeah, we were at the, at the what was it, the 90th anniversary of the Varsity. Worst mistake of my life to go to this 90th anniversary in downtown uh, Atlanta. It was crazy. People were nuts. There was a fight in the parking lot before we even got there. We brought our kids. It was absolutely crazy. And so we finally get in, and guys, it is packed. I mean, we are breathing the same air. You know what I mean? Everybody's claustrophobic. It's getting a little uh, uncomfortable right now. And and I'm not claustrophobic, and I was very uncomfortable. (laughs) Okay? Um, it it, It was a nightmare. But so we were there. By the way, everything was 90 cents, so that was why everything was there. Everything at the varsity was 90 cents, so absolute pandemonium. Jesus taught in settings like that, where there would have been so many people there, get this, they couldn't even get in the front door. Even if you wanted to step in, you had to stand outside and kind of listen. And remember, there's no TV back then, there's no Facebook or Instagram, and so people, people came out, people turned out to hear teachers, but again, there was something about Jesus and the way he taught People said things like this. They said, they said this, guy, this guy teaches with an authority not like the other guys that teach. It wasn't uncommon for a rabbi to be teaching somewhere. But it was uncommon for him to say the kind of things he was saying. And this was no different. And so the friends are caring for their friend, and they can't get in. And what they don't do, what, what they don't do is say, oh, well, I guess we got to go home. No, they bring their friend and they say, hey, but we can get in through the roof. Guys are crazy, okay? But but they're also crazy passionate about getting their friend some help. They did whatever it took to get their friend to Jesus. Hey, there's a sermon in that, right? We got to do whatever we can to get people to Jesus. We got to do whatever it takes. No excuses, right? It's no apocalypse or not. We got to do whatever it takes to get people. Uh, and we don't just mean in the service. I mean, you're going to hear the gospel every week when you come to Anchor Church, and there's going to always be an invitation to respond to Jesus. I can promise you that. Um, but uh, even outside of that, in groups that we're launching, or even in your home, in hospitality, in missional living, that's the kind of stuff we're talking about. So they go to the roof. They're digging a hole in the roof. Guys, Jesus is teaching, and there's dirt falling everywhere, and there's, it's, it's, it's a little crazy. And they, and they poke a hole through the roof, and they lower him down to Jesus' feet. And this is where we pick up in verse 5. Jesus seeing their faith. Because let me tell you this this morning. True biblical faith, authentic faith, does something. Doesn't just believe with the head, but the head's got to move to the heart. And when you believe in your heart, you begin to act with your hands and your feet. And that's the kind of stuff Jesus was about. That's, that's the mission of the Son of Man. So seeing their faith, he said to the paralytic lying on the floor in front of him at the feet of Jesus, Son he says what no one thought he was going to say. Nobody predicted this. Like, oh yeah, he's going to forgive his sin. No, no one saw it coming. Son, your sins are forgiven. 
Just let that soak in this morning. That our deepest need, every one of us, including this guy, all of our deepest need is not physical, it's actually spiritual. And I know that's hard to believe sometimes, man, because the physical needs hurt. Right? If you're sick, maybe you're here this morning and you're still dealing with sickness and pain and hurt. You're on your sixth medication for that problem. You're dealing with an autoimmune disorder. You know, there's all, all kinds of things. Maybe it's external, physical. Those things really matter to God, okay? And we're not saying they don't. But I'm just saying that our deepest, Jesus says, our deepest need is spiritual. It's to be forgiven by God. And so Jesus says this. And there's, I mean, there's likely an audible gasp in the room. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. By the way, Jesus is omniscient, we said, right? He's all-knowing, and so he knows this. And he knew it before he said it. They're reasoning in their hearts. They're saying, like, why does this man speak this way? He's, he is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So, again, when we hear things from skeptics like, and maybe, maybe you've thought this this morning, if you're honest, you're, you're just like, man, Jesus never just comes out and says, I am God. Like, he never says it quite like that. But this is, I mean, this is about as close as it gets. Only God came, I mean, they knew what he was claiming. And he says, your sins are forgiven. They say, only God can do that. But look what happens next. Jesus is so awesome. Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they're reasoning this way within himself, said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, watch what he does, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and pick up your pallet and walk. He says, look, I'll level with you. Anyone can say, your sins are forgiven. Anybody can just plop in and say, sins are forgiven, done. But I'm going to show you the greater. I'm going to do both. I'm going to show you, look at verse 10. He says, and this is the motive of Jesus. This is amazing. But so you may know, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, don't miss the power of God's word in action. I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go where? Home, because everybody needs a home. Everybody, he wasn't just talking about his physical home. He was leading him home. Jesus was now his anchor. Jesus was now his home. Only Jesus, friends, has authority to do that. And this got a lot of attention. And it made a lot of people angry. A lot of people angry. But also a lot of people, they started praising God. If you read the rest of the passage, it says, it says all of a sudden people... Look at verse 12. He rose immediately, picked up his bed, and went out before them, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. If you're like me, uh, you probably like some movies. I love movies. And uh, I love a good plot twist. Does anybody else enjoy plot twists? Yeah, yeah, they come out of nowhere. Like you think you're, you, you think you're tracking along, and then it just totally, totally changes. Man, just think about some of the movies that you like that have some plot twists. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe it's like a Frozen. Like I was watching Frozen with my kids, and you know, the, Hans is, is the good guy, and him and Anna, you know, love is an open door, and they're singing, and they're in love, and you think they're like she's going to get married. This is so good, and then what happens later on in the movie? Yeah, he's the bad guy. He's the bad guy. It's a total 
plot twist. He tries to kill her sister. It's, it's just the worst situation. You never saw it coming. You think you know someone, and then figure out you don't. Or maybe this Disney movie, uh, Coco. M- Miguel, right? Miguel is a 12-year-old music prodigy. His family forbids him to play music, but he's obsessed. He's watching his great-great-grandfather play music. He comes from a line of, of, of musical greatness, and he's like, I just want to be like my great-great-grandfather, and he ends up going on this big journey to try to find him and try to bring music back, and just all, it's just a magical story. And then we get to a certain point in the movie, what, what happens? Yeah, his, the, the guy he thought was his great-great-grandfather actually killed his great-great-grandfather, and, he's, and, and they talk through this and unpack it, but then it turns out the guy he's been hanging out with the whole entire time is his great-great-grandfather. And it's a good thing. They go home and they sing songs to their family and it's great. But total plot twist. We never saw it coming. Or maybe this is your favorite one. Maybe you'll identify with this one a little more. Where we see the Sith Lord, Darth Vader, in Luke. And Darth Vader says what? I'm your father. See it coming? People sitting in that theater that day did it. They said, what? No way! You know, this is, this is caught him off guard. So, what does that have to do with what we're seeing Jesus do? Guys, many people in Jesus' day would have felt just like we felt watching these movies and, and feeling the plot twist. And let me be clear, this isn't a Bible plot twist. We just talked about the prophecy, okay? Jesus has prophesied to do what he did on the cross and through the resurrection from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Okay, it's the first gospel presentation in the whole entire Bible. All right, so this, it's, not a, it's not a plot twist of the Bible, but people in Jesus' day would have experienced this, these sayings and these actions like a plot twist, and like we react to a plot twist. Like, what? Because here's what happened, and here's the third encouragement this morning as we're wrapping up. I want to encourage us to treasure the suffering of the Son of Man. To treasure the suffering. Because there's this great tension between what we've seen so far. We have this prophetic messianic son of man coming with the clouds, dominion, glory, kingdom, right? And then we have this authoritative, now here, Messiah, saying things like, you're forgiven of your sin. Take up your mat and go home. Saying things like, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I call, I get to dictate how the Sabbath functions in this world. Like saying things that only apply to God. But then we get to these other parts of Jesus' teaching where He said things like this in Mark chapter 8, verse 31. He said, he began to teach them, and he said, the Son of Man must suffer. And I want you to really, really hone in on that this morning. Even write it down. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, by the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. And this, this would have just socked people in the gut because they're like, wait a second, the Messiah, the one that, 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 that God's going to send to the earth to free us from, from captivity, he's supposed to be riding a horse, he's supposed to have a sword, he's supposed to have armor on, he's supposed to come in and kick Roman butt and, and free us all. They, they had their own opinion of what Jesus was supposed to do and look like. And even the disciples did, Right? Peter steps in at one point. Jesus starts talking about this kind of thing. And Peter starts rebuking him. And the Greek word used for rebuke in that passage, where Peter took him aside, is like, hey, Jesus, sidebar, come here, come here, come here. 
And he starts correcting Jesus. The word for rebuke there is actually the same word that you see in the Gospels for casting out demons. Peter, Peter thinks he's got a demon. <laughs> Bad idea, right, when you take God aside and think he has a demon and all that. Because what Jesus says next was also quite severe. He said, does anybody remember? He says, get behind me, Satan. Because you're thinking about human things and not the plans of God. You are getting focused on your own kingdom instead of the kingdom of Christ. And so Jesus teaches the Son of Man must suffer. And why, why must he suffer? Because it was the plan from the beginning that Jesus would do these things. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son. That in eternity past, we see in John 17 and other passages that Jesus the, son, the, the eternal Son of God, the Logos, the Word, and Father God, the Ancient of Days, they, they, they had this plan from the very beginning. This wasn't a surprise to Jesus, certainly. He said, no, 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 I'm on mission. The focus of the Son of Man is something that we ought not miss this morning either. That Jesus stayed focused on his mission. He did not get distracted. That nothing Jesus did, friends, was by accident or haphazardly. But Jesus was intentional with every word with every action, with every healing, every journey, he was intentional. You know what is amazing here is the Old Testament passage of Daniel 7, right? We started there. He connects this messianic prophecy of Daniel 7 with the suffering servant prophecy of Isaiah 53. Just write that down, Isaiah 53, and just read through that this week, and just know that hundreds of years before Jesus showed up on the scene, Isaiah prophesied very specifically about things like crucifixion, which wasn't even invented by the Persians yet, by the way, when Isaiah penned that, right? It was pierced for our transgressions. Let's just take a look at, at a few of these verses here. In Isaiah 53, starting in the latter part of verse 2, he had no form or majesty. This is talking about Jesus hundreds of years before he came, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him. So it's talking about once he's coming to earth in his, in his humanity. No beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Man, and let's keep going in, in verse 4 here. Surely... Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement or punishment that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What a beautiful passage about Jesus. And Jesus comes and says, hey, not only do I have all authority and dominion and rule and power, but I came to suffer. And why did he come to suffer? I can tell you this, not because he was obligated. Let's just agree on something together. We don't love obligation, do we? Personally, like if you're obligated to something, you really don't want to do it, but you got to. And there are those things in life. But we also don't like it when someone else feels obligated towards us, do we? We almost don't want them to do it. Hey, if, you, if you're feeling obligated like you have to do it, then I don't, I would, I would rather you not, right? Have you ever felt that way? I, I know I have. Where I'm like, no, no, no. If, if the motive is not all the way there, then let's just, let's just pump the brakes a little bit. 
But Jesus was not obligated to come. He, he said, I must, but he did it willingly because he wanted to, because he loves you, and because he loves me, and because he loves the world. He laid down his life. He said this in Mark 10, 45. Let's look at this as we close. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. A ransom is to pay a price to set someone free. Jesus paid the highest price so that all of us could be free from the penalty of sin due to all of us. Again, Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death, so that by sinning, even one little sin, that we might call them sometimes, is infinitely offensive to an infinitely holy God. And everyone is under that penalty of sin, under the wrath of God, unless Jesus takes your punishment in your place, unless he's the substitute for you, unless his death on the cross covers your sin, then we're all under the penalty of that sin. And friends, that's what he did for you. That's what he did for me. But it's a precious gift, but we have to accept it. We have to accept it. The gift can be given to us, but we actually have to take the gift and lay hold of it. We, we don't have to do any works. You don't, have to, you don't have to do any kind of spiritual hoops for the Lord, but you just say, Jesus, I'm trusting in you. I'm turning from my sin, and I'm trusting in you. And that's why Jesus came, so that you and I would do that, so that you and I would trust in him and would learn that we cannot lean on our own power. And that's the second part of what Jesus did is that ransom. When he died in your place and in my place, when he did that, he not only freed you from the penalty of sin, but from the power of sin as well. He came that you would be free. And Jesus says in John 8 this morning, don't miss this, whom the, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And that's good news. That's good news in this place. I want to invite you to pray with me. And if you're here this morning and you know that you're under the penalty of sin this morning, that you've never given your life to Christ, and that you're still trying to do it yourself, and you want to trust in Jesus to be your substitute, to be your Savior, the one in whom you trust for the forgiveness of your sin. If you want to be like the paralytic this morning, who Jesus says, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Guys, it's as simple as that. The simplicity of the gospel is that. That God will forgive you right this morning. That Jesus will stand in your place this very day if you call out to him. If you believe in your heart that he died for you and that he was risen again. Just tell him this morning. Say, Jesus, I know I've sinned before you. I know I'm under the penalty of sin. But I believe that you are the son of man. I believe God on the cross and rose again so that I could be forgiven. And today, Jesus, just pray to him right now. Jesus, I I accept your forgiveness and your grace. Please come and make me a new creation this day. I give my life to you. If you prayed that prayer today, maybe not those exact words, but if that reflected the heart of your prayer just then and you prayed to Jesus for the first time and accepted him, we want to welcome you to the family and we want to celebrate with you. Please let someone know today. You can take your Connect card right there. You can indicate on the back side of that Connect card, hey, I gave my life to Christ today. And we, want to, we genuinely want to celebrate with you. We want to help you take your next steps. But maybe your next step is this. Maybe your next step is to go, man, I, man, I don't think, Brandon, you're talking about the authority of the Son of Man this morning. And I'm not really sure that I've been living my life like Jesus is really in charge. 
you know, sometimes, friends, it's easy for Jesus to be our Savior. If you're, if you're in Christ and, and you've accepted him as Lord and Savior, sometimes the Savior part's a little easier. And sometimes we can look at parts of our life and go, but Jesus isn't really, man, is he really Lord of my finances? Is he really Lord of, of the decisions I make? Is he really Lord of my calendar? Is he Lord of the way I talk to my wife or my kids or my husband? This would be a great time just, just, just to come to him this morning and just, and just to say to him what you need to say. To ask for mercy, to ask for help. Because I love this verse in the Bible. It says, cast all your anxieties upon him. And he'll hear you. Why? Because he cares for you. And he loves you. Jesus, as we respond this morning, may you be glorified in this place. May we remember that you paid it all. You didn't just pay some, but you completed the work. You said it is finished and we really can trust in you. Help us sing with that passion in mind. Help us sing with hearts that believe and that worship the Son of Man. Jesus, thank you for being strong enough to save. Thank you for being willing to save and thank you for your faithfulness and carrying out your saving work into the future. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and worship Jesus together.